0: Hey, Three Crosses family, we are back with the Going Deeper podcast. Today we are going over Acts chapter 9, verses 10 to 31. So we got a lot of ground to cover today. My name is AJ, I'm the pastor of Life Groups and Discipleship. And so with that, let's go deeper. Well, joining us today in the podcast studio to talk about the unlikely hero, the transformation of Saul into Paul out of Acts 9, uh, verses 10 to 31, is not Pastor Danny Strange this time. It is Pastor Larry Vold. Woo-hoo. Pastor Larry, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be back. Thanks. It's been a minute, and so uh, we're really excited to get into this text of scripture. We have a lot of ground to cover and I've got a lot of questions for you. Oh, so I can't wait. We're going to we're gonna be jumping right in here. Let's do it. I want to start with verses 10 all the way through 17 in your sermon you called scene one, mm. which I really loved because mm. it helped me follow the sermon really well. Mm. And um, yeah, in this scene we're introduced to a new character called Ananias and you call him a supporting cast. He's approached by the Lord and uh, he is asked to go on a certain journey to this Saul character, and he replies, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. And the Lord responds to him by saying, Go, this man is my chosen instrument, speaking of Saul. To proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so then we see Ananias actually goes, he places hands on Saul and then says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This Ananias character is extraordinary. Mm. And uh, we as you pointed out, we don't really know much about him except for he was just a disciple. In Acts 22, Paul explains that he's a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived in Damascus. Um, first question here, very similar to last week, we talked about is there a connection between the Saul of the New Testament and the Saul of the Old Testament? If you're an observer of Scripture, maybe you've noticed that this isn't the first time that we see the name Ananias. So, Pastor Larry, is there any connections that we're supposed to be drawing here between the Ananias of Acts chapter 5 and the Ananias of Acts chapter 9? Why are they named the same? (laughs) Well, you'd have to
1: ask their parents that, I suppose. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, when you read names in Scripture, a lot of times it's sort of like, uh, "Is this the same guy?" You know, you you see a lot of those things in the Scripture. Uh, but the, the the simple answer is no; they're not related. Um, uh, they're different people. Ananias of chapter five, Acts five, is uh, he's he's got some issues. He's hiding some things from the Lord, and he's thinking he you know he's kind of building a name for himself and. But he's doing another cloak of religion, and unfortunately, he gets found out. The thing that's alike, both of them, is that God uses both of them. Hmm. <laughs> and God uses both of them in a, in a powerful way. Uh, Ananias in chapter 9 is certainly—and uh, we don't know. We don't know how the gospel came to Damascus. Was it out of— Pentecost, uh, when the people that were from that area were down in Jerusalem and seeing the great work, we don't know how or when this man became a disciple. But as you've probably observed, Pastor AJ, going through the book of Acts, Luke is very, um, he's very exacting in his choice of words. And when he uses the word disciple, obviously that deals with someone, Mathetes, the, a learner from the Lord where if he's talking about just a person, he'll say a man, a man usually uh, on air. So uh, here Ananias in chapter 9 is a believer. He's devout, like Paul later comes back to in 22 and talks about. But he's he's definitely a man that God has called him to make a difference in a new believer's life. And I love that. And that's why I call it scene one is kind of like... The first scene of our lives as believers is often like in that surrounding of family and friends, people that know us well. And here Ananias didn't know Paul personally by experience, but he knew him by reputation. Uh, this was someone that he was really unsure about. And uh, and so that's, if you're a new believer listening to this, you've probably got people that are unsure about what's happened in your life too. And so that's what I love this character, Ananias. He's actually that first in to make a difference
0: uh, with somebody's life, and as that first entry point into making some a difference in somebody's life, uh you brought out three action points that Ananias is called to do here that mm. you challenge us to do, and so mm. one of them is obeying god's voice, even if it gets messy. Mm. Uh, treating others with brotherly love. He calls yep. him brother Saul. Yeah. And then finally engaging people in the hopes of their spiritual transformation. Yeah, And I think I'm speaking from personal experience here, but I find Ananias' story incredibly inspiring mm. on the one hand, mm-hmm. but also incredibly challenging because mm. I can put myself in Ananias' shoes and man, would I have gone to Saul who mm. was a threat to my very life? Mm. And would I have engaged in him with him in that sense mm. of obeying God's voice mm-hmm. at all costs, treating him with brotherly love, not having like any resentment, but calling him brother. And then, mm. you know, hoping that there's a spiritual transformation there. And so mm-hmm. um, I'd imagine in your experience, you've had to engage with a lot of these kinds of people that, mm. hey, maybe they're not quite the type of person that would typically show up to a church, but there's something stirring going on. And I'm sure you've walked alongside of people Mm -hmm. to, uh, coach them through of how to engage with a Saul type of figure. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if you could encourage our listeners with any obstacles that you might see to engaging in this way, because I know engaging like this is incredibly Mm -hmm. difficult for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, man, thanks. Great question. You know, in our culture too, Pastor AJ, you know, we live in a very separatist kind of individualistic culture. And so it feels a little invasive to be involved in someone's life. But when we think about the context of what we're kind of, you know, what I was trying to driving in the sermon was that we've got all these, we've got new believers around us. And, and God's doing a work in people's lives. And so we're often, especially in this first scene, as friends and family, we're often too quick to write people off or think like we either know too much about them uh, or, we're, uh, or we're just really skeptical about whether God has really done something in their life to begin with. And so it starts with, like what Ananias did, it starts with hearing God's voice. And Ananias has a conversation with God about it. He says, like, no, Lord. He basically says no. And I love how God just kind of lets him rant, and then he says, go. You know, like, this is not an optional thing. You need to go. So the first thing is, like, being attentive to, like, who God draws our attention to. Um, And, of course, like, we don't know when someone has come to faith in Christ, but maybe we hear about it. Maybe we hear about... Uh, someone in our family that's come to Christ. And we're we're skeptical because we know the life that they lived, or we know their tendencies or whatnot. Or maybe it's in a workplace where we hear somebody has come to faith in Christ. They went to a, a meeting, some kind of special outreach, and we hear that they had come to some change in their life. And so we're, we're really skeptical and we're maybe afraid because of certain personal boundaries or even relational boundaries that we would step in. But if we're hearing God's voice saying, you know, you should go and encourage this person and reach out to them, which is the second part of what we see with Ananias. He comes in, like you pointed out, he says, brother Saul. and And I love the fact that Luke inserts that because he's right off the start treating Saul even though he maybe have his suspicions about what's happened in Saul's life, treated him as a brother. And I think I can learn a lot from that too. I've learned um, over the years when I talk to people who I'm not sure of their spiritual background or even their spiritual condition in the moment, to treat them as if they were a believer, and I, by that, I don't mean that I should impose upon them the thought that they are a believer when they're not, making them feel awkward that way, but just letting them know that there's no barrier between me and them, that there's no uh, anything in their life that would keep them from keeping my arm around them or, or saying, hey, you can be my friend. And then just the fact that, you know, he he lays his hands on Saul and, and then this transformation happens, we're actually witnessing what I think really is the conversion of Saul here, where his eyes are opened and he gets up and he's baptized. Um, And we don't, I I have so many questions in this text, you know, (laughs) (laughs) know, like, where did they do that? How did they do that? You know, what was the baptism like? Um, What were those things like scales that fell from his eyes? (laughs) You know, so we were easily taken into the metaphor here and say like, well, okay, Saul's need in that moment was to have his eyes open. And Ananias becomes a, a messenger of God to help him do that. Um, and I just love that imagery. I love the fact that we can actually have a part in people's dramatic spiritual transformation in their life. Um, and so by accepting them, loving them, uh, and then actually going to them, following the voice of the Lord. And then I love how it, that little scene ends with Saul getting something to eat Um in that moment, after taking some food, he he was uh, he regained his strength, um, and so there's there's this holistic sense of what we do with new believers is that we're car- we're not just caring about a Bible study, but are they well nurtured? Are they cared for? Mm-hmm. Are they loved? Are is are there the basic essentials being covered in their life? So I'm probably talking too much, but anyway, that I, I love that first scene because it kind of in with our family and friends. Which, by the way, is the hardest place to really live out our witness with our immediate family. And like I bring up on Sunday, like how many of us have people in our families that that's kind of like the no way, nowhere you go in a discussion. Um, there's just a lot of doors that are locked. And so when someone in our family comes to faith in Christ, that often is a very, very awkward moment, both for the family that does not believe and for the member that does believe and helping them to see that true transformation is taking place. Because our families know us. They know our idiosyncrasies. They know our past failures. And they're maybe just waiting for the shoe to drop and just, you know, reveal that this is just kind of a passing fad in our lives.
0: I know equally as challenging as the story of Ananias is, was your observation that, Um, Saul seems to be a passive recipient here. Mm -hmm. And so this whole series is geared around looking at what Saul does Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, how Saul transforms into Paul. And yet we see here that he's receiving from Ananias or he's receiving from God. It says he's praying, Mm -hmm. uh, in a vision. He sees a man named Ananias. So he has a vision Mm -hmm. and, uh, then the scales fall from his eyes. He could see again. Mm -hmm. Uh, he got up. Presumably somebody baptized him and uh, you know, found him some food to regain his strength, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I call this challenging because I feel like sometimes our tendency is to just go and act. You like want to do something, you want to mm-hmm. fix the problem. Mm-hmm. and yet it's so challenging sometimes mm-hmm. to passively mm-hmm. wait. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if you mm-hmm. could flesh that out a little bit. What does it mean that Saul in this instance, is passive? Mm-hmm. and uh, how do we wait well? How do we yeah. wait on the Lord well? That's great.
1: Yeah, if you're listening to this and you're kind of a new believer and things aren't moving as fast as you want them to move for your life, like why aren't people embracing me? Why are I not getting a little more attention here? Don't people understand that I, I'm i a new believer? And you know you might be having some of those feelings, and later in the text we'll talk about even like in church settings, like we feel like we're outsiders or we feel like people have not embraced us. And so there is this quality of the of a new disciple that must be passive in the sense that, and you're not always passive, but in these initial stages, it's good to wait on the Lord. It's good to let the Lord open up doors, bring people into our lives. Um, and so I would just say, like, uh, notice that Saul here is praying. He's in a place of in in the midst of his early moments of being converted to to the faith. He's waiting submissively to enter into the things that God has prepared for him. Um, and there's something to be said about that for all of us, that we wait submissively for the things that God has prepared for us. And I've found, I've talked to people that are either uh, new to faith or uh, they've been following Jesus for a, a short period of time, or maybe a longer period of time, but they've not really matured, and they're getting impatient, and they're kind of wondering, like, where where is God in all this, and how come people of God are not more... Uh, embracing of us or or helpful to us, and and there's complexities in the social world about that, and even in our culture. Like I mentioned a minute ago, like this is uh, Eastern culture. Uh, there's a lot to be said about the way that people embrace people in that culture versus the way they're embraced in this culture. Um, but there are some corollaries, and one of the big corollaries is that. Everyone wants to be accepted. Everybody wants to have a sense of being known and being loved at the same time. And so if you're that new believer, just know this, God has your back, He kn- and He's going to bring people into your life, and He's going to tee some things up for you. You have to just stay attentive to that. And there's, there's action that you need to take too, but first be satisfied in knowing that God has your back, and He, he has a collection of people. It's called the body of Christ that um, he's placed you in uh, to be nurtured and to help grow. And God's going to bring people alongside of you to do that. And for the listener who's been a believer for a while, let me just ask you, who are the souls in your life? Who are the people that you are being nudged to encourage in their walk with Christ, even in these early stages? Uh, Because um, you need to be attentive to that too. I do as well.
0: We move on to verses 19 to 25 here, where Saul begins to spend time with the disciples in Damascus. He preaches in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God, and people are just floored by what's going on. Uh, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests And this is what the crowd is saying as Saul grows more and more powerful in baffling the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Mm. In verse 23, we read there is a conspiracy to kill him. And then he has this band of followers by night that lowers him in a basket through an opening in the wall. (laughs) An incredible scene too, here. And um, one of the nuggets that I felt like was in your sermon um, that you mentioned was the fact that there might be some time discrepancy here. Um, According to Galatians 1, verse 17 to 18, it seems like there might be a gap of up to three years going on here where Saul goes to Arabia, and then it says, later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem, which I think is interesting because so often we see the story of Saul I wonder how many of us think, you know, at the snap of a finger, Mm -hmm. he becomes the Paul that we read that is going and taking the gospel to all the nations. Mm -hmm. And we think, boom, instantly he's this Mm -hmm. superstar of a Christian. (laughs) And um, yet even in this passage here, it shows that he's growing more and more powerful. He's uh, spending time with disciples. Um, Mm. And as you said, that three-year gap. And, you know, I was looking at timelines here and it, probably an estimated 10 to 12 years before launching his first missionary journey. Mm. And I'm wondering where does this conversation about spiritual maturation over time fit into the story of Saul here? Mm. Um, Did it just happen like an instant? Did he, you know, band together with a group of people? I mean, it says he has followers. Yeah. Like where does this conversation fit into this story of the unlikely hero that we have been talking about? Wow, man
1: really insightful question, Pastor A.J. You know, the funny thing about it is we all want instant sanctification. And that is one of the, re- one of the reasons when we read stories like this, we think in, in a disappointing way, we should be further along because we feel like, gee, you know, like I, we, we just want to snap our fingers and then we'd be all transformed. But the beautiful thing about the truth, the scripture teaches us is that maturation takes time. Um, and, and by the way, you may be a Christian for a long time and still not be mature. It's not time alone, but it does take time. There's no shortcuts. There's no quick ways. And I love how you pointed out that in the second scene where Saul, the, the first thing he does is he's just lit up about his relationship with Jesus. And he's going into the synagogues. You can think about this. He's He's talking to people who are not convinced about who the Messiah is, and he's Proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So he's got all this zealousness and he's just fired up. Um and that's all well and great. In fact, I love the the word havoc there. It kind of makes me think whenever I read that, I think about the the Allstate commercial, the guy, the mayhem guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Avoid mayhem like me. That's the way <laughs> the Christians looked at Saul, that everywhere he goes, he creates mayhem. This is a guy that you don't want around. But Saul's powerful in his in his uh, convictions about all this. And like you pointed out, verse 23, after many days. So, okay, so you asking the question, how could this be? Or like, what is this hiatus? Um, Luke's purpose is different than Paul's purpose. When Luke's writing this account of Saul, he's giving us a 30,000-foot view of a life who's transformed. And whenever you look at a life that's transformed, you're going to have huge gaps. And Luke is not trying to seam this together in a perfect, uh, you know, timeline. Where when we read Paul, Paul's purpose in Galatians is to give them a more settled view that there's been a maturation process in his life, and that when he comes to two twenty and says, "You know, I've been crucified with Christ; it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me." That's got to have so much. Baked into that in terms of what does it mean to be crucified with Christ? And Paul, Paul had to learn that as a new believer. And we know that Jesus, you know, differently than our experience, Jesus Christ himself would have been a, a primary discipler of, of the Apostle Paul. But in similar fashion, we are discipled by people who have the living Christ in them as well. And so There is this beautiful uh, alignment that takes place um, where we meet with people and we come to see who we are and who we can be in Christ because of their relationship with Christ. And so when Paul, excuse me, when Luke inserts, and after many days gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him, he's fast forwarding like you said, upwards of maybe three years, um, where they decide, and Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where he actually, maybe in conjunction with the the leaders, the governing authorities, they decide that they're going to put Saul to death. Um, so I guess I would say to the question of where is the maturation process, it, it is invo- it involves trial, it involves hardship, it involves being kicked out of things, Uh, kicked out of conversations, kicked out of friendships, kicked out of relationships, kicked out of social media, (laughs) kicked out wherever you're kicked out of, because people don't like what you have become or what you're becoming. And if you're a new believer listening to this, and you think that because you're a follower of Christ, everything's going to be sweet and rosy in your life, um, that's just not biblical. And I love even at the start where God reminds Ananias to say, He is speaking of Saul, he's my chosen instrument, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So one of the one of the most important maturation processes is in our life is affliction and suffering. <laughs> so if you're here and you're listening to this podcast and you're going through a season in your life where it's really rough right now that's probably the most beautifully enriched time for you to grow deeper in your faith and that's where we get a little snapshot of that with Saul here who's becoming Paul and we don't have a lot of detail around it but we know that his followers got around him and they they literally intervened and got him out of there to save his life
0: and that's where i wanted to gear the next question because it seems like there's another supporting cast in scene 2 just like mm-hmm. Ananias was in scene 1 mm-hmm. we have quote unquote his followers intervening on Paul's behalf Mm. and um you mentioned three different ways again of engaging based on Mm. how these followers engaged Mm -hmm. um one of them was you know actually physically doing something for somebody Mm -hmm. literally laying somebody down through a roof or whatever is going on in that scene Mm -hmm. but um you also mentioned intercession and sincere acceptance yeah and I think those might be a little bit more difficult concepts to wrap our minds around. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I was wondering if you could flesh out those a little bit. Um, yep. And maybe how is intercession and sincere, sincere acceptance looked like in your life?
1: Yeah. Thank you, man. Those are great questions too. <laughs> I can tell why you're the guy that oh, does man. this <laughs> podcast. A lot yeah. of practice. Yeah, that's great. Well, yeah, there's that first piece of like, sometimes we got to just go and do something for somebody. And and that, you know, like maybe we're not digging holes in a wall and letting people out, but sometimes going and doing something tangible is actually going and sitting with somebody who's really at a rough situation where they've been pressed against, where they've gone through a tough season of suffering in some way, and they're kind of questioning their faith. And I think one of the ways we save people from like faith destruction and by the way, if you know Christ, you're never going to have faith destruction. But there's there's seasons in our life where our faith wanes and we go through turbulence and we wonder really if all this is going to work out. And I think we play a big part in actually personally, sometimes physically intervening for people, showing up at their doorstep, showing up at their workplace. I've shown up in a lot of weird places, Pastor AJ, where I just felt like somebody needed to know that I was desperate for where they were, and I wanted to meet them. Mm -hmm. Um, But then you ask, okay, well, what are... So then I just, in the sermon, I include a couple other areas that I think are just as powerful, but they seem less invasive than showing up or actually physically doing something. One is prayer. Um, Prayer, you know, Paul, all through the scriptures, Paul, the one that we're talking about here, wrote on many occasions to pray, Colossians 4, pray that our message might have impact Um, He many times includes in his letters the invitation to pray for them, especially when they're going through a difficult situation. Uh, So prayer, I think, is a big part of our support of a new believer. We should be praying. I have in my prayer journal a little section where uh, I pray for new believers, people that have either led to Christ or I've met them that are new believers. And I pray for them because I believe that that God is working behind the scenes in our prayers. When we pray, we are actually engaging in something that God is already in the process of doing, because He doesn't do anything outside of prayer. That's an amazing reality. He doesn't do anything outside of prayer, the prayer of His people. He's designed it that way. So He's waiting for us, a lot of times, to get on board with what He's already commissioned to do, and with a new believer, He's he's determined to bring them through, make them more like Jesus, His Son. But he's going to use us, so pray, pray, pray. That's the second thing. And then this idea of um, uh, accepting Romans fifteen says, accept one another, just as you, just as in Christ, you have been accepted. And I think the powerful tool of accepting somebody is kind of like, in many ways, opening a a hole in a wall and causing them to escape. When people come to a church, um, and they're they're either new believers or they're not a mature believer and they're looking for a place of spiritual growth, we underestimate the power we have to come to one's aid by simply showing acceptance. I used to say when I was a senior pastor, I used to tell people, hey, every now and then you need to visit another church just so that you get the feel of what it feels like to be a visitor. And you'll find if you do that, a lot of times you feel invisible you go in, nobody notices you, you sit down, nobody talks to you. I've been, I've visited churches, not for this purpose, but just in places where I've been out of town, I'm just going to hop into a place, and so I'll I'll just go. And I've had the experience where not one person even said hello to me. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I would initiate in those ca- cases, maybe I would wait around and talk to the pastor, but where nobody in the constituency of the body actually said, hi, I've never seen you before. But then there's other churches where I've been where immediately I feel embraced, I feel cared for, even noticed as a guest. Um, so I, I I think it's a powerful point to make, if you're listening, that we can do a beautiful service of new believers by just simply showing our acceptance of them. And that has a lot to do with recogni- recognizing names Um, recognizing if someone's fairly new or brand new uh, or that they're back. Hey, I saw you last week is a powerful truth in that. So when people feel accepted, um, they find an environment where they can grow and grow more uh,
0: deeply. It's perfect because that's where scene three Mm. directs. So it's almost like these questions are leading you right into the next (laughs) verse. Uh, I wonder who came up with those questions. I didn't write the questions. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, verse 26 says that when he came to Jerusalem, when Saul came to Jerusalem, he did try to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Mm. And uh, then we get the scene of Barnabas taking um, Saul and a, a. advocating for him, Mm. advocating on his behalf and expressing to the disciples that, hey, yeah, Saul is who he says he is. One of us. Yeah, he's one of us. Mm. And so this is where I get to one of my skeptic questions on Mm. the podcast here, uh, because it seems like the church is now getting involved. And I can imagine a lot of skeptics or a lot of people that are timid about the church looking at a passage like this and saying, you know, this is why I don't want other people involved. Mm. This is why I don't want to be vulnerable with anyone. I don't want to show people my weaknesses. I don't want to, I just don't want to do it. I don't want to take, I might get rejected by it's it. It's risky. It's risky. Mm. And I could see this being the fuel behind the statement. This is why I need to clean up my act mm. before I show my face in a church mm-hmm. because maybe they won't accept me. Yep. And so... um Two questions here. One, what do you say to a new believer or a person that's going through these sentiment sentiments saying like, I need to clean up my act before I show up to the church so that they'll accept me. And then on the flip side, how do we at Three Crosses become that church or become better at mm. welcoming these outsiders, these mm. people that may not feel like they fit or mm. um, how do we become that place of just mm. welcoming? Wow. Well.
1: And that's so great, ok. Well, first of all, the question of like,, uh, should I clean up my act or, you know, the legitimacy of trying to clean up my act before I come so that I may be accepted? Um the reality is in most church cultures, uh, there is a pretense that exists. And that's because, as human beings, none of us like to be seen in a poor light. We don't like to be shamed. We don't like to think that uh, we're we're not um the people we say we are so it's funny and we know this pastor aj you and i you know all of us are broken all of us have brokenness in our lives and we are the results of uh, and big issues in our life are often the results of seasons of brokenness in our lives and so then we come to church and we we try to put on this air that everything's fine and we're good and there's you know god is good and and there's no issue in my life now the reality is, yes, God is good, and yes, things are fine. But we need to be a little bit more uh, open to the to the areas of our struggles. And I think a that's modeled by the leadership. You know, does the leadership ever share publicly that they struggle with things? And I believe that's the case at Three Crosses. We don't have leaders that are not you know th- that are sinless. We know that we're all sinners. Uh, we're saved by grace but we we sin is still something we have to uh, confess and repent of on a daily basis. So I think as a church, we have to work hard, and any church, anyone listening to this, if you're a part of the church, you should be a little less concerned about how people see you and that they would see Jesus. And the way that happens is that when we That doesn't mean when we come, we just air our laundry and we just, you know, like someone says, how are you? Well, I'm terrible. I've sinned greatly this week. You know, it's like, (laughs) that's not realistic, but that we have relationships where we're being honest with each other and that we let people be themselves. And so, you know, we obviously... There are people that come seeking the truth that come from all different backgrounds, some that are not saved, some that are maybe even pushing their own agenda on what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and they want to hold on to sin in their life. And so we have to be careful that we don't become judges, but that we 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 receive people where they are. Um, as a church family, the way we model that, I think, is by being, uh, radically embracive to people, um and and i don't you know it's hard to describe how this looks like because we can also become a turn off if we're just like clamoring on people mm. because sometimes people come and they want to be a little anonymous. They don't want everything to be seen in their lives. So it's kind of like listening and watching for cues, you know. And so my little personal thing is that when i feel like a person is opening up to me, i continue to engage. When i feel like there might be a little invasiveness there or they're pulling the shade down a little bit, um, or I can t- sense in their body language that they're wanting to move away. Uh, I, I release them, you know, and and just kind of... And I think if we can just... This is a, an art, and it's a beautiful thing that the Holy Spirit allows us to do, that we just... All of us should be conscious of that. Um, as a pastor, and I'm probably going way too long on this point, AJ, but I'm going to talk as a pastor. Sometimes the pastor, you know, is kind of surrounded. and the And often the pastor, including myself or a pastor, is wanting to look for those people that are not engaged Mm. so Mm. that we can have impact with them. But sometimes we as believers don't allow our pastors or leaders to do that because we're just always wanting to engage them ourselves. So you know, it's a delicate balance because it's not like... I remember one time, AJ, I I preached a sermon and I talked about this very issue. (laughs) (laughs) And afterwards in the lobby, nobody talked to me. It was like... (laughs) Everybody just thought I was like off limits or something, and it was really funny. So I had to like correct the way I came across in that moment that I'm not, I'm not wanting to be left alone, but I, I want also to be, have the experience of reaching out to others. When I bring a guest to church, sometimes the people are immediately attracted to me. They want to talk to me, but they, there's my, my guest is invisible to them. But I think we've come a long way in that. So I think we always like look, and in a church like Three Crosses where there's so many people, we'll never run out of new people to meet. That's the beautiful thing. And so we should honestly engage people with greeting them and encouraging them. One last little story. When I leave, I usually attend our first service. And when I'm leaving to go, um, I'm often, I park down off the hill like I've been asked to do, which is great because we don't really need that in the first service, but in the second service, we get a lot more people. Anyway, so I walk quite a ways and I run into people And I know some of those people know me as a pastor in our church, but I can tell when people don't know me. And I just love looking at them and saying, it's so good to see you. Welcome to Three Crosses. And you can almost see people like their expression change. Like, I feel like immediately loved. And our parking lot team does that. Our greeters do that. So people probably get two, three, four, maybe five touches. But if you're listening to this, I want to engage you to say, look around on Sundays and engage people. There are new believers in that crowd. Think of those 26 people that prayed to receive Christ over our uh, resurrection weekend, Um, Easter resurrection day weekend. What a beautiful thing. We can invest in that. So I don't know if that's nailing where where you're going with that question, but...
0: Yeah, I think it's a cultural thing that is enhanced by the teams that we have on Sundays Mm -hmm. too. So if you're interested in, you know keeping your eyes open, I'd encourage you to jump on mm. a team, jump with Sonia, jump with the kids. Cause Great. there's a lot of new families coming in, oh, uh, jump with the prayer team. Cause there's a lot of people that are coming for prayer for the first time. And, uh, yeah, I know a lot of the training for those teams is to keep your eyes open for that new person mm. and uh, mm. make a beeline toward them through the lobby. Uh, or you can join me, and uh, my practice has been just start making laps around the uh, the lobby area and the cafe, and just kind of see who you run into. That's <laughs> and, a beautiful uh, thing. Yeah, just
1: yeah. yeah, take a walk. Just instead of being on a mission to go to your car, take a walk <laughs> around the lobby. I don't know; traffic's take... pretty
0: bad, Larry. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's true
1: park off the hill and it's easy. There we, oh, there we go. Good incentive
0: <laughs> to park off the hill and run into somebody and have a good conversation. Uh, yeah. And I think it's opened my eyes to see how many people knew that are actually coming mm-hmm. up to three crosses. Mm-hmm. And I know Pastor Danny in the past has talked about how unique that is mm-hmm. in our season. You know, could I just also insert too? just like, I love this Barnabas guy. And, you know,
1: his name means son of encouragement, you know, so his name was something else before they called him Barnabas. Um, Barnabas is just a beautiful picture of what we all need to be, making bridges for people. And so, uh, you know, find someone that you can regularly encourage in, encourage in. Uh, We tend to sit in the same places in church. You know, there are people around us. Get to know those people. Look for them. Uh, if they are gone a Sunday, the next Sunday when you see them, say, Wow, I missed you. How are you? Is, there, is everything okay? Um, be a networker. Uh, in, invite people to meet friends that you have. Invite them to sit with you if it's appropriate. Um, you know, like I said, we have to be careful not to be too clingy to people, but there's just something very powerful and beautiful and winsome about about being an extension and a and a connector mm-hmm. and like you mentioned our teams do that but i want to just kind of solicit everybody to see themselves as and not not to avoid the teams cuz we need more people in those teams mm-hmm. but if can you imagine if everybody had kind of on their 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 agenda or their thought that today i'm going to meet some people that i'm going to encourage so that they'll want to be back mm-hmm. and what god does in that moment is just amazing
0: right yeah and it kind of ends up At the last passage of this verse where Saul is progressively trying to make his way back into the community and um, doing that whole process while facing tremendous persecution, trying to kill him, Mm. um, taking him to different places to try and flee this Mm. and then landing it on verse 31 that says, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. And I can only imagine if we all had this Barnabas style attitude that we would only see an increase in number. And so uh, Pastor Danny set the stage for this entire series Um by looking at the overview of Acts saying, all right, will the gospel survive in Jerusalem? Will it survive throughout Judea and Samaria? And will it survive to reach the ends of the earth? And here we have the first instance where it mentions Samaria and uh, we see the church being strengthened and increasing in number. And I love the journey that we've been on so far, talking about, you know, Saul starting off as a guy that's too far gone, we've seen his life flip completely upside down with God trying to rewrite his story and flip it right side up. And now we see this Saul character taking his first steps in faith, uh, experiencing a little bit of resistance and uh, not so easy integration into the church. And so for this final question, I'm wondering if you have any encouragement to anybody out there that might be a new Christian that might have their life flipped upside down, that, Um, said yes to the Lord um, and are having a little bit of a difficult time here. And uh, Mm -hmm. what final words would you want to say to that person? Well,
1: thank you, Pastor AJ. I I would say be patient. Um, The Lord is at work. He's opening doors, and he's going to make a way for you. If you belong to him by faith in Jesus, his son, he's going to be sure that you have the resources that you need, and even like what we read there in that last portion, what is true of the church is true of the individual. Um, you know, we are strengthened, we are encouraged by the Holy Spirit. We live in the fear of the Lord, and then we also grow. And so your growth is going to come. Uh, watch for um, opportunities, the doors that the Lord opens to you, and and don't be afraid. You know, to to walk through some of the doors that seem a little scary. Um, the doorway of of uh, of involvement is not easy for some of us, but there's a huge payoff in that. Um, and it takes time. So give yourself patience, be patient with yourself, um, and, and watch God work. It'll be a blessing.
0: Amen. Well, Pastor Larry, thank you so much for sitting down with us and walking through 21 verses. That's a lot of ground to mm. cover, but we did it. And we so, it. uh, Pastor Thank Eric, thanks so much for having this conversation. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Pastor AJ.